Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. If you were around the Bay Area in the late 90s, you may have heard of the fascinating author J.T. Leroy. J.T., also known as Terminator, was an HIV-positive street hustler who wrote best-selling autobiographical novels and was totally made up. Hi, I'm Paco Romain. And I'm George Chen. And you're listening to the SupDoc Podcast. SupDoc is a show where we talk to interesting people with strong opinions about their favorite documentaries. In this episode, we chat with Marjorie Sturm, the director of the documentary The Cult of J.T. Leroy, a literary figure that was figuratively and literally bigger than life. We did this interview in 2015 while The Cult of J.T. Leroy was on the festival circuit. It recently just got distribution and is also available on Marjorie's website, jtleroydocumentary.com. Hi, Marjorie. Hi, Hi Marjorie. there. Hi. Thanks Thank for coming for, by. Thanks for having me. This is fun. And you were saying you're a little bit intimidated by getting asked questions because you're so used to asking people questions. Right. I'm used to be on the other side of interviewing and everything. But at this point, I realized, you know, you're not going to ask me about rocket science, you know, or yeah. something I don't have any answer to. So yeah. that's what... Well, there goes my first question. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> How do you feel about rocket science? So, no, I don't. Well, that's what I realized. Like, no, everyone's just going to ask me about this. You know, it's not like they're going to ask me about another subject. So. The JT is for jet technology. That's exactly, what it's for, yeah. Exactly. I, I don't know if this is like thing. We know, and you just mentioned this before we started rolling, that Laura is probably listening to this. Hi, Laura. So, Hi, Laura. Hi. Hi, Laura. So today you friended me and Laura friended me at the same time. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. That's cool. I took a screenshot of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was like, that's pretty sweet. That's some <laughs> synchronicity. Yeah. Like then that. she's, I also, she, yeah. Yeah. So, Hi. Hi, Laura. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Yeah. So you know that she's for sure monitoring things and like commenting on things on YouTube right. and things like that. Right. So I don't want to say anything that I don't want Laura to hear. But right. But we're really all open-hearted people here. Sure. So. Yeah. Hey, it's out there, man. It's, it's out, out there. there. Yeah. It's out there. Everything I've read that she has put in the press is like it, I definitely have questions about it. But yeah, like it's in her words. Right. The stuff that she said, which I noticed that you didn't have a direct interview with her. And I guess that's the number one question. No, no, I did. She didn't want to. Um, well, I reached out like when it came. Well, we could backtrack. But basically, after it was all revealed, I did write her an email and um and then I heard back from her a number of months later. Like, Jeffrey wrote me back right away. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll interview her partner, um, mm -hmm. Aster. Um, he, he was pretty, you know, on board. And I didn't even know what the terms of their relationship was at mm -hmm. that point. But then I didn't hear back from her for a while. And then when I did hear back, um, it was an, quite an interesting conversation. Kind of like that exorcist clip. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. that was like what, what it felt like to be on the receiving end <laughs> I'm sure. of my... Um, you, you're the priest getting, like, puked on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like... Yeah, split ah! pee all over the phone. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, whoa, okay, I'm not going to... Um, and my, my sense was, you know, like, I mean, her freedom of expression took, you know, what, three personas, and I have my right to my freedom of expression. Yes, you do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, any, you know, whatever you want to call this performance, art, hoax, pseudonym... 
mm-hmm. scandal, whatever it is that involves, you know, what a thousand cultural figures, you know, has a right to mm-hmm. some discussion and analysis that's Absolutely. not controlled by her. So right. I you marched would, forward. You would think brave so- woman, brave yes, woman. You are brave indeed. <laughs> yeah. And you would think someone like her would relish being discussed. And oh, she does. Yeah, I'm, she does. I would imagine. She, oh, I think she does. Um, What's your background? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I worked, um, I was, my, I have a brother and sister who are both artists, and I was involved more with like, you know, studying psychology and comparative mysticism and things like that in my 20s, and I was working in social work for many years, and then I just, um, you know, there's not that many things to do that are really interesting and it's a really hard thing to do but I was just like oh film could just incorporate all these interests in photography music you know narrative story you know just seemed to so I I started I went and got an MFA at San Francisco State while working in social work in the tenderloin Mm -hmm. and that's what kind of like as I was finishing this film I mean finishing working my MFA my -hmm. program this is this film kind of just sort of I was introduced to the topic, and I found it really compelling right from the start, actually. Gotcha. Yeah. The, the J.T. Leroy story. Totally. I found it all really... I mean, I found the mystery around it compelling. I thought this, the narrative was compelling. I thought the adulation to him was really strange and odd. The, like, cult-like... You know, like, I'm not one to do, like, a lot of hero worship. So this it was really wild just watching people really adore him and feel for him. And, you know, and I thought, you know, that I would have, you know, obviously some control over this f- figuring out what, you know, what it was about. And I didn't really like where JT was going by the end. I really was like, oh, my God, he's turning into this hardcore diva. Was that part of an overall arc of I don't of think story? any of it was planned. I think mm. it was all improv. I think it was all just like her rolling with something that got... I don't think anyone could have foreseen that it got that large. Who was the wizard behind the curtain? I mean, obviously Laura, but did Savannah have her own... Mojo? Mojo? Yeah, yeah. Was it Savannah that was getting more diva-ish, or was it Laura telling Savannah to get more diva-ish? I mean, I think the the one who's operating behind the scene is our our collective unconscious of American culture that just really (laughs) is driving this kind of celebrity worship, you know? So, I mean, they just sort of... I mean, I think it's probably the same with any celebrity, you know what I mean? That they just go, go, go with it, and you don't really know what's going to take off or get that imagination in a certain way our culture wanted this character that could transcend incredible suffering. I mean, so Oprah. Spend a lot of time alone. Oh, I know. But you live with some people. Yeah, they're pretty nice to leave me. I won't, what I really want, like, they leave me alone, but it's a small place, and um, I hope I can make enough money that we can buy a house. I would like to know a little bit more about yourself. How did you get into filmmaking? Did you study it at school? I was on an art kibbutz in Israel, and I was studying art then. I was doing photography, and then I kept on putting words to all my photography. And when I came back, I mean, it was really one of these things like what to do with my life. And I was like, you know, I could go into filmmaking like that would be compelling. And I just when I was 25 years old, I just started working on my own films, basically just picking up cameras and making short films. And just um, 
I did that for a number of years. I did a one-act play. That was my first play, My Espresso with Joan. I worked on this piece of thread that was experimental. And then I did my films in film school. I worked, I've worked for Consumers Union doing um, activist video activism. And then I worked on an Occupy Wall Street documentary that um after the after J- the after no I, between jt basically oh, okay. i didn't have any work basically after the economy crash i basically this whole film was greenlighted at one point by any indie docs for a large large budget and then they pulled their funding and put it on hold mm. when the economy crashed mm. and then i was like you know i had a young child and i had to come up with something to do and i started just freelancing and i and one of the things I was freelancing, and this was unpaid work, was just the whole Occupy movement in the Bay Area, uh-huh. basically. And so I started working on that. And you made a documentary about that. I worked with others. It was a collaborative a documentary. Collaborative doc- it was 99% Occupy Wall Street collaborative documentary. It premiered at Sundance 2013. And um, by um, Audrey Uhl and Aaron Aitz were the directors. Oh, nice. And anyway, I, I ended up with people who just wanted to... Um, support my vision gotcha. and I was pinching myself because it was like you That's don't amazing. hear that they just kept on saying and I was like well thanks I have a lot of gratitude for that because right. they just they just kept saying that we want to support your vision Does we that want to support su- your vision support drive you to finish is that part of the drive is it the drive to finish a well project? I was in a situation I have a young I have two children and one was three so I'm glad I was paid money do you know what I mean to actually work on the film like had investment money, I couldn't just carve out the time and space to work on the film. You know what I mean? I had to work. So I wasn't in a position, you know, I have a partner who can support me or anything. So I had to work until I had that money. I couldn't work on it. You know, I had to work doing freelance or whatever else, you know. And then when I got the funding, I was able to finish. I I basically worked on the film a year. I cut the film myself for a year. And then they liked that and they gave me more money and I hired another editor who came in and was basically created what you saw, Josh Melrod, who's amazing. It's a great job. Amazing. He's amazing. Yeah. And he's an amazing person. Like oh. he was exactly the kind of, you know, you know, synchronistic, you know, psychic collaboration that I hoped I would like cross paths with. And I Are finally did. Are you the did. kind of director that sits with the editor? No, no. I mean, he saw my um, cut and then we had tons and tons and tons and tons of conversations. And he lives in Vermont. And I actually just, based on my notes, my conversations, my feelings, like, you know, just everything, um, he, I just gave him the space to work on it. And he, you know, did a phenomenal job. I mean, and, we, we, and then after that, obviously, there was, you know, we did a few more cuts. And we, there's feedback and there's back and forth and things that were put in or taken out or, you know, all that. It goes on for another. But he did a phenomenal, we were just high-fiving when we first watched it. But I was scared. By that point, I was like, oh, my God, like, yeah. what am I doing? But I do really believe in um, the creative spirit, and that can't be controlled. You know, it, I mean, the, my investors just gave me the money, and they were like, you know, we don't even want to be a part of it. You know, and like other producers really, they're giving you money because they want to get involved in film. Like they don't have any film background and they're taking over your film. That happens a lot. You know what I mean? They just, they have money, but they don't have a film background and they think their money can get them access to the filmmaking process. And so um, in this case, they they were just like, no, we have a lot going on. We just want to support you. And so, I mean, and then I feel like I have to return that favor to everyone. Just let people be creative, you know? And that's, I mean, I, it's the same thing. I mean, I think the animation I can't take credit for, and it's phenomenal. It's very good. It's phenomenal. And that, um, but you know. Yeah. 
Let me, if I may, this is another thing I, I think about when I watch documentaries that have animation is, was that a conscious choice before you got into uh, the editing process or was it something that came up later? And did you stylize it with animation because other documentaries have animation? Now, was it someone saying, you know, you should probably put animation in this? Or? Well, basically what happened was we didn't have Laura's participation in the film, right? And we knew that everything, we, there's a lot of fair use, and I won't get into all fair use, but you probably know what fair use is, right? So that was from the Paris Review, and we did think it was important to have her point of view. So that was something I actually did with a different editor back in... Um, 2007, 2008, but when that first round of funding, that was actually, we did a demo version. So um, the, the actress, the voice actress is Deb Hyatt, and she was brought in to just do that voice. And we, uh, we selected, you know, sections that, you know, thematically, you know, so it, it actually was edited down. We had done more, you know, and then we edited it a bit down mm -hmm. for this last cut. But, um, yeah, no, and then we redid it. We actually had one, we brought in another um, cartoonist. My brother's a cartoonist, actually, a graphic novelist. So he um, gave us Chuck Forsman, who's the illustrator, illustrator you know, and yeah. then um, Sylvia did the picture, the animation stuff. And and so backing up a little bit, you were working in social work. I in started the in, well, I first started, my first job was working with inner city ex-felons, gang members, and um, just like doing, teaching them high school stuff. And so I did that, you know, it was a pretty, they were working again with building houses for the homeless. And mm -hmm. so I was involved with social work. I mean, I was kind of like, that's, I was a transpersonal psychology focus at the University of Michigan, which is a rare program, but it's, it's well, kind of about comparative yeah. mysticism-based yeah. like psychology, so, which is a lot of often, you know, the, the, is about service, about giving and helping. Did your parents, were your parents no, my parents, a bit hippie? No, 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 no not at all. No, 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 no. But your family is all creative. Your siblings all creative <laughs> yes. people. So yeah, my, well, my, my mom's like, a, like, they're like liberal politically, you know? I mean, yeah. they're leftist liberals, you know, mm -hmm. but it was a very, straightforward yeah. upbringing. And you're say. the only one on the West Coast right now? My sister's in Berkeley. Okay. And she's a painter and a photographer. Okay. Wow. You know? Yeah, I know. Have it all, the arts, like, you have it all, like, on lockdown. And you know, it's contagious. It's, well, it's contagious <laughs> The magnificent too, right? sterms. Yeah, yeah, well, it is. Well, you start, like, you, you're around, it is contagious, right? Like, people are, like, yeah. like, like, intellectual voids are contagious, and people who are creative is, I mean, it's all kind of, I believe energy just circulates and kind of goes are, around. Are your kids starting to show a little bit of that? Well, my partner's an avant-garde musician, so right. he, Ernesto Diaz-Infante, so he, they are just, and I don't think they know what's going Wait, on. Wait, isn't to be he the guy that did the soundtrack? Yeah. To just, well, yeah. now look what just happened. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Okay, I was going to ask you about him because I, I thought the soundtrack's really great. Yeah, yeah during great. those animations, all the really like, yeah. really like kind of Derek Bailey kind yeah. of like plucky guitar Yeah, that's stuff. all, yeah. that's just, yeah, he's, um, that's him. So, and then the other musicians, Lena Espival, Lisa Cameron, Who's transgender? We couldn't have planned that if we wanted to. Right. And then um, Jeff Espival. Arnell. Okay, I know Espival. She was in uh, Espers. You got it. Yeah. She live here now. Or she she's out in, Philly? in no. She's in Lisbon. Oh, she lives in Port. Okay. She's in Portugal. Oh, okay. You know. She lives in Lisbon. Yep. That works nicely. I know. Yeah. And it actually just got into a festival in Lisbon too. Uh, the film did. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Do you want me to go there for you? I know, I know, I know. As your agent? I know, I know. I, I could dress up as JT. Anyone could, yeah, right? Well, that true. goes back to the film, right? Like, yeah. how do we know I'm Marjorie Sturm? Let's make a little jump here. How did they, how did you, A, get involved with JT Leroy and the whole entourage? And how, who approached you about being the, a filmmaker? Basically, um, 
I had just started hanging out with this guy who, you know, we weren't dating, whatever we were doing. We were, he, but he moved to LA, right? And I was just hanging out with him and he was like, oh, I'll find you work in LA. And then I, um, I was like, sure, sure. And then he called me up like right away and just said, can you come to Los Angeles tomorrow? I, there's this William Burroughs-esque poet. It's like what I said in the film, like it's right up your alley. You'll be totally into this. And I really kind of wanted to see him and hang out with him too. So it was just like, oh, wow, a film and him and this mm-hmm. Burroughs-esque poet, like, cool. You know, and I had nothing planned the whole weekend. So I was just like empty slate. Well, why not go? And I went. And then I basically was just like, wow, this is really interesting and weird. And then I, um, and then I, I was into it and I came back and then there was another, um, I just started doing, I did about five or six shoots, basically. I did that Beth Bach told shoot who's introducing the whole Macaulay psychiatric unit. And I tried to do, I did the Dr. Terrence Owens stuff. And then I did, um, I went to Napa Valley. I mean, I just started doing those shoots and it was over a 10 month period. And then I, JT was too sensitive and didn't want it and was becoming a celebrity at that in that brief period because JT happened to meet Ozzy Argento right then and the the whole thing went from like innocent little kind of so it's like oh three this was um oh two into oh three oh two into oh three okay. and then it went it was, it was amazing rise in like ten months like that I just was right there at that and then and then when when JT said that he didn't want it anymore. I was like, oh, no problem. Like, I really thought it was strange that he wanted to be filmed. Like, that was always the weird part to me that he wanted the documentary to begin with. So when he didn't, I was like, oh, that makes sense. And then it just sat in my closet for years. And then when Stephen Beachy wrote that article in New York Magazine, I was still actually, at that point, what was going on? Why did I stumble across? That was in, oh, I think I was just in and out of working. I was back, like, I just stumbled across this, um, article, the New York Magazine, and I just found his email online, wrote him a thank you note, and I said, you know, you resolved this crazy, unresolved experience in my life, like, thank you, and then he said, you know, you should reopen this right now, mm-hmm. you know, the New York Times is going to open it, and the weird thing is I emailed Laura and Jeffrey the day before the New York Times broke, it was just one of those things, and I said, hello, JT, I would love an interview with Ms. Albert, Laura Albert, can you hook me up? And that's when I heard from Laura, like, months later. Okay. You know, so that was, and so then I just, but that, at that point, Stephen Beachy gave me all his contacts, and, and that's how I got in touch with Dennis Cooper, and Joel Rose, and Henry Dunau, and Brian Perra, and it just... He just gave, and then, you know, and then those contacts led to other contacts, and then I did some research, you know, and then I worked on the film, and I didn't know there was going to be a trial, for God's sake, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, like, I had yeah. no idea that there was going to be this, it just kept, no for me, it just kept that. escalating as well, too, I was just like... Were you, did you know that you were like, did you think like, oh, I'm, I, I have something really good here? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I really did, because I just thought this was just such a collusion of so many interesting societal forces and echelons of our culture. I mean, it was going from street kids all the way to celebrities and the literary community. So it was just hitting so many different, and then all the identity politics on top mm-hmm. of it, mm-hmm. not to mention like Warhol and all that you know, crap practically, you know what I mean? Like whatever, you know what I mean? It just was right. hitting so many, it was like a sphere and when you turn it, I could see it different ways. And I thought, I found it really compelling, you know what I mean, to think about. Like I was really, like what does this mean about our society, about our culture and so forth. And like, so I really, I mean, God knows I didn't spit the film out, so I had time to germinate it on it all. Mm-hmm. So from, from what year did you start filming to when you had your final edit, when you were? 
Oh, the first moment was like May of 2002, and my final edit was probably, I would say, it was 12 years oh, over. Wow. But, and I worked on it basically five years in those 12 year mm-hmm. period, more or less. You know what I mean? Oh, like, I see. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it was, was in the closet for part of the time. Closet for three years. And then four years, the hard drive sat mm-hmm. on my, like after the economy cl- collapsed oh, and yeah. um, I didn't have any funding. I just had to move on. I had an infant. I had to work. I had no funding. And I just was like, okay. And I had the, I had the film, more or less what we saw, except for that Laura Albert at the end. Mm. That was the only stuff. And Savannah. I mean, that was the only yeah. two shoots. I, I had people in LA and people in New York cover those. But basically what you see, a lot of it, you know, there it is. You the know? other question is, she. so Savannah wouldn't do an on-camera interview with nope. you either. No. Nope. Yeah. She nope. already wrote a, a memoir a about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. She so didn't. She's, I think she's it. trying to like, I mean, I imagine mm-hmm. trying to distance. get some distance. Yeah. Have you read her book? Yes. Is it becoming, what's it, the title? Boy, um, girl, boy. Yes. Oh, boy, girl. Yeah. Did you read it? Yeah, I did read it. And um, your review? It, um, <laughs> my review of the book. Um, I, I mean, think? um, Oh, I don't. Uh, well, I mean, was it a re- it, it was, was a interesting for me. For you, it was a right? resource. I, yeah. I, I was looking at it as a resource. Uh-huh. I'm, I wasn't judging it critically right, right, as right. a, um, a memoir. I mean, you know, I know what other people have said, so I don't want to um, just regurgitate it. I honestly feel like it's like the books, her books. I have not the best person to evaluate any of it, sure. you know, because yeah. I'm too like. Well, let me. Let me, Did you read Sarah or the hardest? Uh, yeah, deceitful? I read both of those. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, at the time saying, before you knew yes, about anything. Yes, yeah. I mean, I read the hardest deceitful on the plane down to L.A. that day. Mm. You know, like I went uh-huh. to the bookstore. I had not read the books, so I just started reading. I grabbed hardest deceitful, and for me, it was just like I was. You know, it was like everyone was into it. John Waters, Tom Waits, you know, Courtney Love, and I was thinking it was going to be sort of darker, you know, and more jaded and kind of right. m- more mean spirited even like, right. and then I was surprised. I'm like, Oh, these are just kind of feel good. Like poor JT's being ripped from his mama's home. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, mm-hmm. that's the opening of the book. You're just like, Oh, poor JT. I mean, it's like when you meet JT, um, you're just like poor JT, you know, like don't touch him. Don't look at him. You know, don't mm-hmm. do this. Don't do that. Like all the rules were being established for how to handle him. I want those rules in my life. I know we all do. Don't that. touch Paco. Don't, or, and don't look at me. In don't the look eyes. at his body. Did they send you, was it a fax? No, no. My it? friend related. It's all oral history. I mean, uh, like the whole thing, Laura Albert must've just talked to people on the phone, like gosh. nonstop. Well, that's what's crazy. It seems like she spent more time doing all of this than she did writing. That's yeah, oh, like the impression that I mean, you that's get what one of the, by the end. One of the agents said, he's yeah. like, I don't even know how much the writing really, I mean, it's the one immutable now, like the writing, the writing, is the writing good, is the writing better? Like, but this agent was like, I don't even know what part of the picture the writing really was. It was more about like, I mean, this whole being a public mm-hmm. persona and almost like the great, like what Ira Silverberg said was like Grace Jones or something, like just being yeah. out and about. And, and a you know. writer. Like how, when's the last time a writer was like a celebrity right. to that level? Right. Like no, like in smaller circles, like maybe like Tao Lin is right. someone who was like kind of huge recently, who also had a scandal attached to him <laughs> right. not long ago. But like the, like the McSweeney's world or something is maybe as big as you think right. of someone yeah. being, but like someone who's partying with Courtney Love, it's right. a completely well, different because echelon. because they were into the rock stuff. I mean, it was right. almost like writers weren't cool enough and like, let's go rock and roll. Mm-hmm. So they had their band. So right. they were kind of working the whole, mm. like rock stars are cooler, bigger, better, yeah. you know, and it was just, that was part of the trajectory too. It's, and it's, it's so darkly comical to right. sit with perspective and watch. Right. The, it's really dark. It's dark <laughs> to watch these superstars and these famous people 
uh, pontificate and get all sanctimonious yeah. about uh, JT. Yeah. Um, it, it, I, this is a very bizarre uh, uh, reference, but MASH was one of my favorite shows. Uh-huh. And there was a Captain Tuttle. Uh, so Hawkeye made up this this mythical figure, Captain Tuttle, and by the end, everyone's eulogizing him and saying how much they loved him, and they right, would say, right. "Oh, just yesterday, I took a walk with him." Exactly. And because people have, they manifest this in their head, and they mm-hmm. want to be part of something bigger and more successful than they are. It's cultish. It's cultish. It's truly cultish. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like I mean, people think cult of personality, this cult of that, but it's it's like cult writer, but mm-hmm. it's it's truly. Cultish, you know, and that's what but was. What's, what is it about? Uh, a, do other countries have this, or is it a uniquely American society or Western, let's say? But what is it about our psyche that makes us want to dive into that? Especially when, like, you know, Sandra Bernhard's much more famous. I honestly, I mean, I, I, I mean, many, many people are more cynical. I think genuinely, a lot of people thought they were doing good. They were pushing this transgender. Abused child from the like That's underground right. yeah. to the mainstream. You know what I mean? Like they were. It was like our icon from San Francisco. I mean, that was certainly my feeling when I went to LA. Like, here's this mm-hmm. weird misfit, crazy person from San Francisco going LA. Go, go, go. So there's some stuff I've read uh, from Laura's com- words coming out of her mouth, where she is treating uh, JT as an aspect of her personality right like right. it's like a way for her to process her writing right it had not a multiple personality necessarily but she seems and to be playing it very a respirator and avatar yeah. um those are her words a so veil. you know Th- it's all been all of these it started out as a veil mm-hmm. and then it went to a respirator and then it became an avatar mm-hmm. and then there's that bit in the film i don't know where you got the 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 wording where she talks about that experience she had in high school, junior high, oh, yeah, where yeah. she does a phone thing right. to the guy. Uh, where is that sourced from? That's the Paris Review. That's from the Paris Review Her article, Paris which Review. is like 2007 or something. And she that? gave yes. one interview, right? And it was- yeah. It was like, yeah, it was, it was an encounter. They called it a Paris Review encounter. encounter. Nothing with her is straightforward. (laughs) Right. So that was what they called it a Paris. It was an encounter. Yeah. But that was, um, from that, that basically Uh then that was what, you know. And there's some people that are going to town, like definitely like take it very personally and are trying to debunk her still like in a very personal uh, way. They feel personally wronged by her and, um, which it sounds like you don't even feel like that extremely personally wrong. Well, she's been trying to stop the film. And that's a bummer. Right. I mean, you can you have compassion for her, and then you like hear from her lawyers. You're like, okay, well, fuck mm-hmm. you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just sort of like I don't. I wasn't trying to. Uh, I mean, I, I said to her on the phone, "I God, you know, I get that we live in a misogynistic world. You know, what mm-hmm. I mean, I've worked with mental health issues. I mean, like, I think you know, but I mean, I think this is not even a mental health issue. I mean, I think mm-hmm. we have the same kind of people downtown the financial industry you know what i mean i think people are willing to exploit each other and that's really yeah, what it's called capitalism it's called yeah. i mean it's getting ahead and that's what in the essence i mean i think it's a complicated story i think that we have multiple motivations going mm-hmm. on simultaneously like we don't have just one thing so i think she probably was getting her emotional needs met mm-hmm. by the jt character i don't doubt that for a second and she was getting her financial needs met of her family like you know and herself you know so it was working good, hard gig to give up you, Do you know? feel like with jeffrey he sort of is p- playing a little bit of the middle ground like he's like 
I didn't think I didn't know what first was happening by the time it was rolling. I was fully in it and I was benefiting from it because it was helping my music career, which I don't know if that's really true. I don't know how much that band really took off when it was happening. Well, he got to play with, you know, people from the Smashing Pumpkins. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did meet what's the guy from the Talking Heads? Who's David, David Byrne. No, not David Byrne. Jerry Harrison. Yeah. He the one to, who lives in Moran. So, I mean, yeah. he did get to meet people and everything. The way he described it, it was like a frog boiling in water mm-hmm. to me. That's to make the film. But like he started, like he's seen her doing scamming things for years. Like he had watched her scam. Right. I mean, her photo was at that store just for fun, for shoplifting, you know, in Noe Valley. I mean, he had been watching her do all sorts of stuff for years and years and years. So then I think it just escalated to the point that, I mean, he just said in his interview, he felt, you know, suicidal. These books were never published as memoirs, right? They were published as fiction, correct? Right. And they were, you could find them in the fiction But they were section. always promoted as autobiographical right. fiction. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, so it's like, it was always that feeling like, these were true, that he was a truck stop prostitute mm-hmm, and he right. was prostituted by his mother. He was homeless in the Tenderloin. I mean, a lot I, mean I mean, like the amount that's fiction, the amount that was assumed to be autobiographical was large, right. you know, because the backstory was being promoted on the website of Bloomsbury and, and in a million interviews and articles. So it wasn't like when you just say fiction, you know what I mean? Like, sure. Yeah. What was driving the story was the autobiographical machine. Yeah, right, right. And the rest was just kind of icing. And then she's, and she's using it's fiction. So it's just sort of like, it's kind of silly to me. Like that. She's yeah. like, Oh, it's just fiction and, and whatever, you know? Yeah. I found something online where I mean, she confused yeah. it. Like that's that whole thing. Like you don't want to confuse the artist with the art. That's yeah. like a Bob Dylan quote. Yeah. But if you were the one who actively were confusing it, sure. Then to say, Oh, well now it's just fiction. Is this sort of, disingenuous it's not like doesn't make any sense what was james fry's defense you know i think he just apologized like like, you know he he just came forward he came on oprah and and just said i'm sorry and it wasn't like this constant he didn't make an attempt to like like, spin spin it's punk it's this it's that like this is just that was one thing that did bother me and i know she might be listening but that (laughs) when you got that footage (laughs) in 2010 yeah she's at some kind of reading in new york that's like a punk themed reading yeah and i don't really get the rationale even as just a justification of like oh the whole thing was punk because like it was what was punk about it or like what she thought was punk about it punk is like they fell for it so fuck you I mean that's basically punk and basically that works maybe against corporate America Mm -hmm. you know something like you know corporate sabotage I mean we could maybe all say fuck you or something but when you're doing it on a personal individual level that's where and then that's what I've struggled with like I have compassion for her but I have a lot of compassion for the people who felt hurt she takes the personal element out like she's Mm -hmm. just sort of like it was sort of this literary thing or it was just it was and people don't know you know it's I mean? like saying Bernie Madoff is just a al- like it's just alone. Right, it was you just know? alone, or it, or he he scammed the financial industry. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, like that's basically like yeah. he scammed. Like he did a he he punked punk the financial rock. It's industry. Punk rock, dog. In in your doc, you mentioned at the end that she still hasn't written. She hasn't published a book under her name. She's probably written articles or things. Incredible, because she's obviously a gifted writer. Well, that's the question. Who wrote it? Well, not not even well that too, but like to a degree, but like um, not. It basically had. Well, first of all, it's this whole idea like if you're a 15 year old who wrote your life stories on the street, like homeless, 
you know, autodidact, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or you're a Jewish woman from New York, Brooklyn, with parents in education who studied creative writing at the new college, new school. Mm -hmm. You're just being judged on a different criteria. I mean, you really are. I mean, you really, it's like people who don't think that that affects the perception I don't agree with. I I really don't. But I mean, if you enjoy the books and they are, you get something out of them, great. Like, who cares? You read a book and it supports the publishing publishing industry I think that's yeah. fantastic wonderful but like I think the other question is like she also had and this is what Nancy Romelin brings up in the documentary she had multiple editors simultaneously like Dave Eggers to I mean multiple editors working on her books simultaneously like really the best writers in the country right. crafting oh, wow. the stories right. and, and they were going around yeah. like almost like a surrealist corpse at times like mm-hmm. like Bruce Benderson was editing them to this one I mean not to say the story is hers I think you know that story or it isn't even like she did you know, her um, needle exchange and grab the stories of street kids, you know, in uh, in the Tenderloin. So the story is hers and maybe it was right lifted from some random Mm -hmm. kid from the Tenderloin. And then she had years of, you know, research and development and practicing with Dr. Terrence Owens, you know, working that out, you know, for years. What's that relationship about? That's the thing. Like, so you've got, you've got the footage near the end where he's like testifying or something. There's that footage. Well, basically that was a video deposition from the trial, basically. So he was supposed to show up Mm -hmm. to, to, um, for the defense Mm -hmm. and at the very, um, Last minute, I believe, he just did not show up. So they used the video deposition that they had done. And the funny thing about it was that the prosecution and the defense both thought it worked in their favor. Mm-hmm. Isn't that great? Like I, yeah. And then the, the judge was like, this should not have been shown and was going to fine them both and all this stuff because it was not like he wasn't supposed to be an expert witness and it should not have been shown. But once something's shown in a, a trial, it's part of the public domain. But the question is like that I have is, was he being conned by her yes. the whole time? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he yeah. was doing phone sessions with yes. what who he thought was JT. For all those years. Or and he speedy. found out with the general yeah. public. Oh. Yeah. And there was one time that she talks about, um, and uh, Jeffrey Knoop talks about, and he talks about, she actually hired a kid from kid Polk from Street, Street. Yeah. and had him meet Dr. Owens. And then run off. And run off. So she orchestrated that so to dupe him for yeah she's done that a couple times right. to other people and Mary Gateskill yeah she, Mary Gateskill she hired someone to orchestrate it and go I mean there's culpability there I mean that yeah. she's like, yeah. this is not um, a pseudonym no. like, yeah know? that is <laughs> a pseudonym produ- she says producing a body several yeah, times a body. Like, it is habeas corpus yeah. she's like the J.K. Rowling of fraud or something yeah, like what a what a imagination what an imagination or is she more like but Barnum what, and Bailey, like, like what chutzpah you're just oh, going yeah. and getting a person and think. And the weirdest thing is that you know most people are trusting most people are not going to ever imagine someone would do that I mean that's what it all works on I think is that people yeah. you're, you're, it's going against and this is what con artists do. They right. go against, they're using people's goodwill, good intentions. Because the, re- well, the reality is empathy is, we have a dearth of empathy. So to use it and exploit it for your own good is the like dark, sickening, crazy right. part. There's also you know? the other side of con, which is to dangle the carrot. Like it's not just right. that they're yes. preying on people's goodwill. They're also saying, I will give you something you yes, really yes, want, which yes. is more prestige and more yes. success. Yeah, oh, to- and that was a lot of this. I mean, and, you know, is basically people... Like a meteor rising, like JT would climb and hang on to larger and larger personas while other people would like hang on to him. 
You know what right. I mean? And it was it was one of those like like here it goes, you know, like, and, you know, and quite honestly, there's like a lot of overlap just with the thematically with hustling, you know what I mean? Like artists are hustlers. We're all fucking hustling all the time. Mm -hmm. And so people, you know, people are looking for opportunities. They're networking. They're there. And she was aware of that. She's a a masterful networker. Um, I was going to say there was a a bit that she talks about where she had experienced abuse as a child. And that is part of what comes into the narratives that she's creating. Uh, I guess I don't really have a question if that's, I, I have to take that at its word. There'd be, we can't assume that she would make that up. Although it would be consistent with all the other lies if she was lying. Right. But does that justify creating this other persona that is dealing with a different set of issues? She's not, she's not dealing with trans issues. She's not dealing with AIDS. You know, these are other things that, JT was dealing with. It's like, you know, in a way, um, I was thinking just that woman, Rachel from... Yeah, Rachel Dolezal. I was thinking about that too. I was thinking... I I was like, Frederick Bourdain, Rachel Dolezal. And and she apparently has... I mean, I don't doubt... I mean, it's like, I think Stephen English said it. it, You might be crazy, you might be child abused, but it doesn't give you the right to be predatory. Right. It's just, I mean, it's just, we're, I mean, basically... We we want to believe we live in a civilization, right? I mean, yeah. that's what it boils down to—that we have to create civilization. So if it's if it's just a free for all, that mm-hmm. everyone who has issues, because who doesn't have them, mm-hmm. and we're able to exploit each other, or claim or claim an identity that is. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a claim difference between yeah. like she was not being an ally to trans people with AIDS at all. You know, it's like she's being. <laughs> Like, even though that is, I think, part of what the appeal was and part of the narrative. Also, it sounds like a lot of the people that had questions and skepticism were like, well, he says he has AIDS. I'm just going to, like, let it go. Like, they were not willing to push too oh, no, far no, no with one JT. Was it. Well, who? I mean, who yeah, no one's going to be like, who's... show me a medical number. No, no one's going to do no that. Do you know what, need, what needed to happen in this is my grandma should have just been around because she would have just been like, what is this? <laughs> right, right, like, right, are you right. a woman or a man? Like, right, right, like, right. You just needed my grandma. We should do an episode with your grandma. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. she would have put a stop to this. No, nonsense. no, I mean, it, it, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, that's where, like, the people whose identity overlapped with JT mm-hmm. just felt like their identity was co-opted. Right. I mean, that's really what exactly. they really they thought. And I mean, and, and not to say that maybe she did you know, put her own, and she wrote the books on some level, right? Mm-hmm. The story is her. So I'm not, I don't doubt that. I mean, people don't care. A lot of people don't care if mm-hmm. she was child abuse or not. I, I, I mean, I don't, I, it's not that I care or not care. I mean, I think there could be a thread of those books that have to do with suffering and child abuse, but they're, they're not about, she didn't grow up on a truck stop. You right. know what I mean? It's like, and you know what I mean? One could say like, you know, my um, partner Ernesto's from Salinas, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a lot of gang violence there. So imagine someone who suffers gang violence goes to Iraq, pretends to be an Iraqi soldier, mm-hmm. writes a memoir of his experience on the battle, you know, in reports from Iraq. I mean, he might have had a legitimate experience as being a gang member, but he wasn't an Iraqi soldier right. reporting on that. They're you know, not the on same so equivalent things. Well, uh, <laughs> did, did the success of JT lead to people? being more open to young writers and and writers that were coming from a homeless background. Or... I hope so. I mean, I, that's a great, that would be a wonderful silver lining if that's mm-hmm. the case. I mean, I, I wish I could just ramble off the same list that Michelle T mm-hmm. wrote for the bold italic. She wrote a, an essay mm. about like, 
you know, about JT, this. Yeah, yeah oh, she okay. wrote a rec- fairly recently just this article just about like this mm-hmm. was the most awful experience. The famous uh, author who lied to me, mm-hmm. and at the mm-hmm. end of it, she lists a bunch of um, you know oh, right. transgender. That you should read right. instead. Yeah, yeah, that, like that authentic you should. Voices, yeah, that's yeah. what. So she, I don't know that list mm-hmm. off the bat, but I mean, I mean, it is a real population. That's mm-hmm. what it boils down to. And if that's the silver lining that me and Laura Albert both can agree on, mm-hmm. you know, and we both agree that in trans issues and we both agree and all that. I mean, I hope that we can agree on that and just right. that's that's the good thing about it all. I'm really interested in the flesh and bone kind of uh, part of this, which is like <laughs> when you first met JT, yeah. like what was your impression? That's a funny one because I was prepped. Don't look him in the eye. Don't touch him. You know, what was the other one? Don't speak to him, don't right? Don't speak okay. to him, yeah. And I, I was in Skylight Bookstore. It's all the no evils thing. Yeah, right. Don't, yeah, just, just don't, don't see, don't, don't hear. Yeah. You know, right? But so um, I was in Skylight Bookstore and I had my camera bag. And I was like, where do I leave my camera bag? And there was like this little upstairs staircase up there. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go like... I put it up there, you know, because that's where they told me. And I, I went up the stairs and my friend, you know, who you know, I was seeing and hanging out with, he was just like, don't go up there. JT's up there and JT needs to be alone. And he was like really like he and he, you know, he was very sensitive to JT. Did what stake did he have in the story? Well, at that he, point? he introduced me uh-huh. um, to the, this photographer who oh, okay. who was shooting for ID and Index oh, okay. and all these magazines and stuff. And she was um she she was the one who just had discovered you know like JT and documenting. She wanted a documentary. You photographer. were the videographer, and I was I was brought in exactly. Okay. And I, I so then I went upstairs, and Savannah Canoop or JT was sitting in a chair and gave me just this warm smile with eye contact, uh-huh. and it completely defied what I was expecting from right. JT. Absolutely, that was my first moment. I just smiled. I just ignored all the rules that I had been prepped for, spoke to JT, joked around, and JT reacted completely naturally with me. And I thought, well, you know, the whole thing was just like, well, JT's healing. JT's getting better. He's at this book reading. He's he's not agoraphobic. He's. I mean, mm-hmm. at that point, we had un- had understood that it was almost like he had undergone more trauma, mm-hmm. like than any living person on earth, practically. So here he was, like a walking traumatized yeah, being. So he's just the most trauma that yeah. could you absolutely wrap your mind around. So at that point, I was prepped for that, and I was like, oh, he's getting better, you know, and went with it. And then we went um, the next day after that. There was the a photo shoot in a, a hotel, and that's where Stephen Jenkins, that stuff with, with the guy from oh, Third Eye. Yeah, Fly. I forgot to oh, talk about that. I, that just horrifies. I hope he's listening. <laughs> I tried to block it out. That just it. Uh, oh, I had to stop the doc at that point and just get some and air. Take a catch of breath. Oh yeah, yeah his his it's so, bullshit's it's, just oh, it's so ingratiating, right? Well, know what someone said to me. Ugh. I can't take credit for this comment, but when he goes, "Fuck me," like just that that it's such a intimate comment like almost like someone like really like i mean they are in bed together yeah, you know what i mean but literally like, fuck me how old are you now 22 when's your birthday uh halloween <laughs> what does that make you scorpio oh fuck me <laughs> <sighs> ophthalmologist dr strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts 
Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm just wondering if there's stuff that you wanted to include that maybe for your own personal ethical reasons, it's like, uh, this is maybe stuff that I should leave on the cutting room floor. Yeah, there's definitely things like, I mean, I even with the, believe it or not, with that video deposition of oh. the, the psychologist, Terry I mean, Owens, like yeah. there's all her diagnosis. There's a lot of stuff and information there that I would yeah. never think about putting in just That's for too like, personal, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I try, I mean, believe it or not, I really wasn't trying. I mean, I really wanted to get just my most accurate understanding of the story out. You know, I wasn't really out to completely sabotage her, but there was no way around getting at people's really very real strong feelings. She's done stuff that looks bad. And people find it reprehensible. So, I mean, that's definitely, I mean, there's no way to leave that out of the story. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I mean, you, there probably um, could be things, you know, that, I mean, you have to pick, after a while, you have to pick a direction with a film. And there's so many threads that you could have gone on that I didn't go on. You know, like postmodernism with, you know, the literature. You can go on different threads that I didn't, I kind of did stick to um, something quite chronological. It sounded like Laura said that there were people that got close to them or there was like people that maybe they had like affairs with or whatever where that she did tell them what Very was Very few. I mean, the and end, like just it, with the trial it. stuff, it was yeah. like, it was maybe a lot of close family members mm-hmm. and very, like, like a Billy Corgan and a couple other people. Like Billy Corgan knew the secret. He knew the secret. And he's just like, I don't care. And there was, like, <laughs> and then, I mean, I think people very late in the game, you know, I won't out them all, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. like, they were let in, but very, very, very few. Like, okay. I mean, like for instance, she claims Ozzy Argento knew and Ozzy Argento absolutely has gone on many records saying she absolutely didn't know. Really? Yes. Okay. And she slept with Savannah right. thinking she was transgender. And thinking, oh. and she said at her premiere, just like, I didn't know how they make pussies these days. You know what I mean? Like, what did she know? Like, you know, I mean, it's like. If I had a nickel uh, for every it, time I've said that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was like, it was really funny. Like, it yeah, is hysterical. Is funny. So, I mean, she. Has but Laura has claimed like in the Paris uh-huh. Review saying, "Oh, well, she knew. How did she not know?" And it, but I think Laura likes to think more people knew than not uh-huh. again because there's less culpability. Like right. if if people knew, this is her. Right. This is yeah. what she's saying on record. She said, "I knew." She actually said recently. Her, to like I knew like she, wow. I was in on it the first time like when your doc opens and I see JT I'm like it's well for me I was like oh it's holy crap it's a woman like, oh yeah yeah uh, yeah, I mean, the yeah, yeah yeah the jawline and the the legs you see 
his legs and it's obviously woman's calves. Right, right, right. And I also was like, did you just take Michael Jackson's mid nineties look <laughs> yes. and co op that yes. with the visor? And the, you know, the That's funny. That is Jackson. interesting. That's funny. It's so Michael Jackson. It's so, she she actually Savannah, I feel like looks kind of more like strangely androgynous as herself than with the wigs and oh, stuff. Oh yeah, that's interesting. that's interesting. Yeah, I mean not I mean she's like a cute girl. But it's yeah. like it's like she looks more uh, like more androgynous yeah, yeah, in a certain yeah, yeah. way than when she was in the JT garb. I yeah, thought, yeah. Well, I, it looked like Jodie Foster trying to look like Michael Jackson. Okay, to me. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> that was that. my impression. That's funny. That's yeah. very funny. That's my impression of that. So, can I ask? Do you know um, what got Stephen Beachy so hot and bothered on the trail for this? Well, it was a. I think it was like a collusion of things. Was that he? New Brian Perro, who was feeding him information. But then Steve O'Connor, I'm naming his name, but he's an old, you know, childhood friend of Jeffrey Knoop. And this, I think, oh, is okay. one of the great things. And he's from San Francisco. Right. And they knew each other from, like, like Lowell High School and very oh, local. Okay. Really but local, he was yeah. having, like, emotional and drug and psychological problems. But And he, it's ironic because, like, 20-so-odd family members who are all sane mm -hmm. know the story, but it took the person who's like on drugs and having mental problems to become obsessed with the story mm -hmm. and was just walking around telling people. In the Canoop family. Yeah, yeah people knew. The Canoop family yeah. and the Albert, Laura, like people mm -hmm. knew and were protecting it. Like other families might mm -hmm. might have hypothetically come forward a little quicker mm -hmm. and have like with that Margaret Seltzer down in LA, like that hit the New York Times, that sister outed her one day. Like when she was pretending to be a gang member in L.A., you know, she was pretending. I don't remember that. She at was. All. It was another memoir thing, but oh, okay. it, it hit the New York Times one day. That family added oh, okay. it. This was ten years, but anyway, Steve O'Connor was kind of like beginning to get obsessed and losing it over, you know, some like you know ethical issues. I think about the child and et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and was just sort of like couldn't take it. And so that leaked back to Stephen Beachy. He was felt like he was handed uh, it on a platter. Okay. Then Brian Perra was on a book tour going, this does not add up. And it, so then he started researching and called Dennis Cooper. But the funny thing about it was Stephen Beecher, Stephen Beachy, he had to like deprogram everyone. Like no one believed him. Like he had to wow. sit there and like deprogram and just say this. And he did it to me. I was like, oh, JT, Laura might have wrote the books, but JT exists. Oh, oh wow. so he had to actually convince you. He had to convince me before the, the article I, came oh, out. Oh, I drank the Kool Aid. I mean, I just could not. Who can fathom it? You know, mm -hmm. who can really? And his. You know, that's what I really thought, and a lot of people did. Right. That JT existed. Was still a person. Well, and does, Laura wrote the books. Gosh, how does that conversation? happen did you like with me that, with him yeah well basically i said to him well you know i went to the macaulay psychiatric institute i talked to his therapist dr owens on the mm -hmm. phone mm -hmm. i did a tour of that how could he not exist like if he spent spent years talking to this therapist and then stephen beachy said to me so when you went to the like macaulay psychiatric institute did you just get a tour around there it was like an information session mm -hmm. about that place mm -hmm. and i was like come to think of it it was, you know what I mean? It was like that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Like, huh? Yes, you're right. Like that does. And then he would, I would, anything I said, he had some really intelligent response. And then I was just like, and I think that when, from the time he had his article till the New York times, it was a span of a few months. And this is what Steven Shainberg says in his deposition. 
there was a lot of people wavering, like, is this true? Is this not true? It's if this is true, like, whoa, like, mm -hmm. and like the people on the list that like young list online that support JT's tourney right. list. There was like a community, like an online community built around. They JT did not fans. believe it. Like yeah. they were like, no, the New York Times has been wrong about other things. I mean, like they were just not believing it mm -hmm. at all they were just devastated they really were devastated did you have the footage in your closet still at this point oh yeah Stephen yeah it was Beachy? all all of it was just sitting in the closet and Stephen Beachy was like I want to see if there's an Adam's apple like he was kind of curious to come over and really look mm -hmm, at the mm -hmm. footage to see an Adam's apple or not and Beachy lives here yep he's um he's a he's in Berkeley now but at the time he was in San Francisco he, he teaches at USF he's Brilliant. I was about to say he seems absolutely brilliant. He's yeah. he's he's a great novelist. He's brilliant. He's truly and he I mean just to be able to and he took so much crazy shit from people right. when he outed it. I mean right. like she, they I mean publicly people like like just tearing you apart. You know what I mean? You mm -hmm. know it's just not not a good feeling. You but know? he's was steadfast in his in his detective he, he, work. He and, did. I mean it just if you re, if you go back and read that New York Magazine piece. I mean the fact that Laura Albert's mother is the head of the corporation. I mean yeah. there was just enough things that yeah, yeah, they. Yeah. I mean it's, his article's really funny. I mean he doesn't. He's not. He had a sense of humor about it too. I mean I think he he got a taste of her. I mean I think the thing with. Um, Laura is that for people who are on the receiving end of her anger, it's mm. very frightening. You know what I mean? So yeah. once you get a taste of that, and we, I mean, there's a lot of people who have anger issues and all that kind of thing, but when you're on the receiving end of it, it's pretty intense, you know? So, I mean, I think he got a, like, you know, he sniffed that one. Right. When you pull much. back the tent flap, those kind of people get very upset. Right. <laughs> the things that it's about outside of just her actions is our obsession with celebrity and our, is that, am I getting so, that? You know, I, I think, you know, it's so funny because I, I have so many thoughts on it. So it's like, that's what was so hard with mm -hmm. the threads. I definitely think um, our, 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 um, the celebrity is definitely one. The cult is one. Mm -hmm. The, um, you know, just our willingness to exploit to get ahead. Do you know what I mean? That like our people doing the, the I think this, this whole myth around the individual is really interesting mm -hmm. to me. Um, I think just authorship, it was obviously interesting. I mean, it was so many issues. And the great thing about documentary is that you really can just present footage and it's a montage. I mean, things collide psychologically for people. That's the power of it. Well, this documentary is fascinating. And wh where did it premiere? Doc, New York City. Okay. Doc, and when? In, oh, last November. Okay. And and now it's playing at different festivals. Yes. And, yeah. and it's being sent around. Right. It went, it, went the, it went to Doc, New York City. It won the jury prize at the San Francisco Indie Fest in oh, February. Wow. And then from there, that's when they asked me to, like, whether we could screen it at the Roxy. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it just went to Hot Docs in Florida, Mammoth Lake, and QDoc in Portland. Portland. It's going to Outfest in Los Angeles, uh, and then just and then Durban in South Africa. It has a lot of. There's a wow. lot, a lot of screenings. And I'm you excited. Have distribution? No, no, no wow, distribution. All of that without, no distribution. Well, congratulations, then. I mean, that's incredible. What that? <laughs> that well, it's gotten that much, that much. A success without having just because it will obviously at some point. I well, would thank imagine. you. I hope so. Yeah. yeah I mean, you know, it's all. Um, it's just getting it out there. Yeah. It's a lot of the festivals are recruiting it, but I. It's just really. It's a small operation. This is right. a mm -hmm. like a self-produced film. It's not yeah. a. Um, I mean, a lot of them. You just realize how many people are working right, on like these films. You know? department. <laughs> Why don't you take the, this opportunity to like say where they, what your website is, oh, Twitter it's, or whatever. It's just www.jtleroydocumentary.com. And I think my Twitter is 
I think I just started it. It's like at Cult of JT. And one way I, I we close this is I ask our guests, like, what is a documentary that got you into documentaries, like your gateway, as I call it, the gateway documentary, like a documentary you saw early on in your life where you're like, I really love documentaries. I want to know more about it. Well, you know, I mean, I'm not the hugest Michael Moore fan, but I actually did see Roger and Me, like mm-hmm. in 1990, as I was finishing films, I mean, I was finishing University of Michigan, and I was like, I could do this. I mean, it was that feeling and it's like- it's a Michigan yeah, story, too. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was just like, I can do this. Like, it was such raw cinematography, and it was just about ideas, and putting out points and I was just I was inspired because I hadn't seen anything that raw like mm-hmm. uh, like yeah. shown and screened and confrontation and confrontation and funny, and funny. funny so I was kind of like this was this was something I wanted to do and it was like a back idea like okay maybe that's something and I actually saw um a documentary when in like a women in third world country about sweatshop labor in Mexico and I remember just being blown away by these women in a factory in Mexico and just being like, whoa. But I remember thinking, why are we showing this to us and this women, all women? Like we should be right now showing this to the business school at the University of Michigan because this is who's going to be exploiting you know, factory workers, right. not us. Like mm-hmm. these women in this class are not going to be the ones That's doing it. So I remember yeah. just kind of making that comment and being like, how do we get this right now to that business school right now? Yeah. Like, you know, and that's, um, so those were like, I think the first ones that gotcha. kind of what got me like, okay. And what about, can you want to recommend something you've seen recently that you think people should check out? I saw um, Packed in the Trunk that I love those women too at, at the QDoc Festival. And it's about this uh, lesbian woman who ended up in an insane asylum because she was, you know, a lesbian and all her art was put into, um, you know, a trunk. And then it was like, it's just a, her story, her spirit being just, um, you know, wow. out in the, and it, it, yeah. it, it's actually um, going to be on HBO. It got, HBO picked it up and it's screening, right, even me next week or and something. Packed into the trunk by, by trunk. Edith is the woman, the lesbian woman who, it's just a great, it was a fun, I'm trying to think what I, I saw, yeah. a, I've been seeing a lot of, because um, you're on the circuit now. Right, yeah, right. I've been seeing so many, um, Great films. I saw the D- Timothy Leary and Ram Dass documentary. Oh, Dying to Know oh. was great. Nightmare was great. I mean, I've oh, been the yeah, yeah. I saw that at the Roxy. Yeah, um, I enjoyed the Desk, um, oh, nice. which is all about the New York Times. I mean, I have an infinity because the New York Times was duped, and this is yeah. Andrew Goldman's film, like just exposing, like wow. you know, the, like the, like the advertising behind. Yeah, who was the guy that worked there that they fired for for? Oh, Jason Blair, yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I'm um, trying. There's so many great films. I really would like, you know, like plug them all. You know, they're yeah. so. I've been sure. seeing like um, more than I normally do because I don't usually get to sit. Cartel Land was creepy and intense. Just really important. Just about okay. all the drug trafficking. Okay. There's a lot of great ones actually. That's the, it's a hard. Those... Oh, it's such hard work. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it's like it I mean, as, as I start again, you're like, ah, I like yeah, this. and Absolutely. like yeah, you're seeing everyone else who's also trying to get distribution too, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. A race. lot of. Um, it's you know there's they get oh no the yes men I'm a huge fan oh, of yeah. the yes Adam men McKay yeah is behind that right yeah yeah, yeah. the I mean, documentary yeah okay yeah. that's I mean I I think they're brilliant yeah, and they are. I I'm so impressed um, with them you know there's so many good films I haven't seen that I want to see too you know Absolutely. there's it's hard well Marjorie thank you so much thank you yeah, this thank was you, so fun <laughs> yeah this was amazing thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find episodes of SupDoc on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Please review, subscribe, and rate. 
And you can follow us on Twitter at SubDocPodcast and online at SubDocPodcast.com. This show is produced by Will Scoville, and our theme music is by David Siegel. If you want to suggest a documentary or a future guest, please email us at subdocpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>